kai ku ki mama mbele enu. You gonna translate for us? Um, <clears throat> it's actually fun preaching in another language, although I feel sometimes like I'm a 10-year-old or 8-year-old preaching when I'm preaching in a, in a second language. Um, so for all of you out there who have mastered more than one language or sometimes, you know, five or six or whatever, uh, that's awesome. God is going to use you to be able to speak to people his word in a language that they have in their hearts. And that's a blessing. So, tonight uh, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I have to warn you that if you don't have a Bible, Naomi is going to hit you on the head with one. Or just lightly tap you. On the shoulder. That actually wasn't what I was going to warn you about, but when I saw her standing there, I was politely reminded. Um, tonight, as we read through Second Corinthians chapter three, I'm going to not. Uh, exegete the passage or teach the passage in a typical Calvary Chapel verse-by-verse style. I'm going to actually leave that to my dad to do next week, my father in the faith, Pastor Tony. So, um, But grant me, if you will, the grace to have your listening ears to share my testimony through this passage. I felt like if there's something that I can bring that's a bit unique... Um, and also, just even as I read through this passage myself, what God touched me with, and that was the thing that I said, okay, this is what's important to share with you guys tonight. So, uh, let's read through the passage together. Second Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. But our sufficiency is from God. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of the countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. 
For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, I ask that as we reflect on Your Word, as we spend time listening to You, as we bear witness of the living epistles that are in this room, may You continue to mold and shape us and minister in us and to us by Your Spirit that we might leave this place more like Jesus Christ than when we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm imagining that if you've been here for the last few weeks going through the book of 2 Corinthians, you probably are fairly well versed in the background of what this epistle is about. But just in case tonight's your first night, and because Pastor Tony said, hey, you're from Africa, you have three hours, I'm going to, (laughs) just kidding, Um, I'm going to take you guys just a brief, just to explain this beginning, because Paul comes off here, you know, saying, do we need to be commended to you or do we need your commendation to go to others? And this kind of ties into a larger theme in this book where Paul is addressing an issue of the that's happening in the church of Corinth, where the people in that church that he planted, that God used him to plant over there, are there are now some who are saying, Who's Paul? We don't need to listen to that guy. You mean that old guy? He's got funny eyes, you know. Yeah, he's he's really bold in his letters, but when you talk to him face to face, you know, and, and they, they really began to uh, question the authority that Paul had. And, you know, that really wasn't the issue. What was the issue is that God was speaking through Paul. And so by questioning Paul... Ultimately, what they're doing is they're questioning God's authority. And that's where the bigger problem lies. Because when we can't submit to God's authority, then we're in a whole mess of trouble. So Paul starts off by saying, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Like, hey, do I have to come in with letters of recommendation to you so that I can be trusted by you? You guys are my kids. I gave birth to you. I don't need to 
present some kind of credential to have the ability to speak into your life? And then as he goes on to explain this, he says um, in in verse 2, talking about the whole issue of letters of commendation, he says, you, you, the church, the people there in Corinth, you are our epistle written in our hearts. Now, Paul, at the beginning of this letter, says that it's he and Timothy that are writing, and they are in route to Corinth, passing through the regions of Macedonia up, up north, and they're going to be headed down to Corinth. But Paul couldn't wait to get there for them to receive this information. So he's sending this letter, uh, you know, as fast as he can to get there before he arrives so that when he does arrive, everything is able to be straightforward. And, and so he's saying, hey, us, Timothy, myself, the people who were a part of planting this church, you guys are an epistle written in our hearts. You guys hear that? You are an epistle written in our hearts. And now it says, known and read by all men. In other words, as Paul and Timothy and their companions share the work of what God was doing in Corinth, in the lives of the people in Corinth, as they're traveling around to Ephesus and through Asia and through Jerusalem and up in uh, Antioch and all over, the, all over the place, as they're traveling around, they're saying, hey guys, let me give you an update about what God is doing in Corinth right now. So the epistle that had been written on uh, Paul and Timothy's heart by the people in Corinth is now being known and read by all men. In the same way, uh, you guys are reading the epistle uh, of what God is doing in Kisumu, Kenya, Africa. Uh, When you hear about the updates of what's going on and as you guys partake in that ministry through prayer. You guys are getting to hear of, of the epistle of what they're doing on my heart. And so really what this comes down to, if we want to break down kind of the, the technical aspect and just get down to the simple, plain power of, these, of this, the impact of it, is that we as Christians have the opportunity to impact each other's lives for Christ. Paul impacted the lives of the people of Corinth when he went there and planted that church. They, in turn, as God worked in and ministered through them, and Paul got to see people uh, being pulled out of the depths of hell, healed of all sorts of things, cast out demons, all sorts of different things that Paul was able to witness and watch people rise up, watch this young, vibrant, passionate church want to rise up, they left the mark on him. They ministered to him as well, and their epistle was written upon him. You see how this, in, this investment is, is mutual. It goes both directions. And so the question that I have for you tonight is, what are you invested in? What are you putting your investment in? Is it your job? Is it a hobby? Maybe a sport that you like to play? Is it a game? 
sitting there on the tube and, uh, you know, playing uh, Angry Birds or, you know. What are you invested in? What, what is it that has got your attention? What are you pouring yourself into? Because we all have a limited time. We don't know how long we're going to be here. On earth, in this environment, with one another. And with the time that we have, we want to invest it in the right way and in the right place. So what are you invested in? Maybe a better question would be who? Who are you invested in? Because it's not about a what so much. A what can be something like a job or or something like that. But who are you invested in? Who are you actively touching their life with your life? And who are you allowing to touch your life? To write their epistle upon your heart? So that's something to think about. And this is kind of where my testimony picks up. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I gave up my life of sin and degradation and threw away the bottle and everything at the age of four. And um, I had Christian family. I went to a Christian school. I, I kind of had this bubble around me, this Christian bubble and I, I thank the Lord now, being older, that I was sheltered and protected from many of life's scars. There's probably many people in this room that can testify that if you pass through a lot of those life's scars and you could have chosen to go a different way, maybe you would have opted for that. But we recognize that God redeems scars and God uses those tragedies in our life to help us to minister to people who are passing through similar tragedies. So God doesn't waste anything by any means. But having grown up in a sheltered life comes with its own challenges, uh, probably chief of which could be self-righteousness. I came to college and uh, to university and, and thought, hey, I'm all that and a bag of crisps. Um, well, I didn't really think that, but I could have. Um, and I think I did in my heart. I just never said it because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't that obvious. But what happened is I got a, a realization, a revelation, an epiphany when I began to encounter God. You know, I'd grown up in the church, grown up knowing God, grown up being close to the Lord. Um, but when I came to Calvary Chapel, I had grown up in a different church. When I came to Calvary Chapel, um, where Pastor Tony was uh, was pastoring at that time, God began to show me how little of Him I actually know. I began a journey at that time, a journey of discovery, to discover a God who I thought I knew so well, being 18 years old, having, you know, read the whole Bible by that time, having uh, attended and led many Bible studies by that time, and yet it was like I was meeting 
somebody for the first time. It was awesome. And one of the things that impacted me the most, something so simple, something so basic that it's, so, it's funny how we as Christians lose sight of this simple thing that I'm about to say. Disciple. You catch that? Make sure you write that down. That's really important. That's a key point here. Okay? D E Disciple. <laughs> okay? Discipleship. Discipleship is learning to be like Jesus. Learning to walk the way Jesus walks. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Young Frankenstein. But, uh, you know, as Igor is up there and he's telling uh, his master, Master, walk this way! And he, he begins, you know, going down the stairs. And so then, all of a sudden, the, the, the <laughs> Frankenstein begins to walk like Igor was, you know. And, and, and the, the funny thing, he was telling him, you know, not walk this way as in how I'm walking, but walk this way, the direction I'm walking. But isn't that the picture of discipleship? Jesus says, walk this way. And he's not telling us the course of direction. He's talking about the style of how we walk, the, the way or the manner in which we walk. The output of our actions should be equal to that which Jesus Christ does. He wants to live through us. We need to be less like me, who I was, and more like him. That's the journey of discipleship. So the question is, is when Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples of all nations. They had just spent three and a half years of intense time with Jesus. They brushed their teeth together. They went to the loo together. You know, obviously separate stalls. But um, they, you know, they walked along the dirty path together. They, uh, they slept in the same place. They woke up in the same place and said, where's Jesus? Oh, he went up early to pray. You know, and, and they, as they did that, as they did life together... Jesus modeled how to live. As well as he taught them. He taught them and he explained things and he coached them and he rebuked them when necessary. But the greatest amount of discipleship was them watching what he did. Seeing how he would respond. For example, Jesus says, hey, you guys... You guys have been, you know, going around all these different cities preaching about the kingdom and you're tired and John the Baptist just got beheaded and hey, let's let's pull away to a secret place and, and let's just get some let's get some chill time together. I think we all need to have a little time that we can gather our ourselves together. They cross the lake and whoo, what do you know? There's a multitude. Not the thing they were looking for. Looking for solitude, finding the multitude. That is not the, what we want, but what's Jesus going to do with this moment? And it says that he had compassion on the multitude. That's where my compassion typically hits the ceiling. And I'm like, no more 
people, you know. Uh, but Jesus shows compassion. And by watching his action, by being his disciple, I learned that. I learned his compassion. Now, some of my favorite times in the early days of my journey, I would come out in the middle of the week to our, our office, uh, our church office, and Pastor Tony and I would sit down together in his office, and we would be going through the Gospels together. And I just asked a bazillion questions. Why did Jesus say this? What's so insignificant about this? What did this mean? Is there more, th- more something to this? Why did Jesus tell people not to tell others about him? Doesn't that seem counterproductive to what Jesus was coming for? I just Any question that I had, I just wrote it down as I'm reading. And then when we would get together every week, I would just sit down and ask him. And it didn't take too long before I began to mature into a place where instead of asking him, what does this mean? I would say, hey, so am I right in thinking that this means this? Yeah. And, and so he can testify, Pastor Tony can testify that he watched this journey, this progression of discovering Christ. We went through Matthew, went through Mark, through Luke, through John. And by the time we got to Acts, man, I was in uni and I did not want to sit in any of my classes without my Bible because it was like the teacher, have you ever seen the Peanuts cartoon? And that's what all my teachers began to sound like. And I was just sitting there with my Bible on my desk and saying, Wow, Samson. Oh, wow, Isaiah. Whoa. And and I just began to, I, I didn't want to do anything. And that discipleship, that intensive time of just getting in the Word of God with another believer. Now, granted, he was a pastor, but it could be anybody. When, when somebody is a little bit further along in the journey than you are, sitting down with you and going through the Bible together with them, it can make an impact. It's an epistle being written on your heart. That investment, what are you invested in? What's investing in you? Who's investing in you? The living epistle that we are. And, you know, this could sound like I'm lifting up the accolades of my pastor. And I, and I, it sounds like that, but it's not. Because what I'm about to read puts the focus back where it belongs. It says in verse 3, clearly you are an epistle of Christ. Okay, so who's the author? Christ. Ministered by us. Okay, there's the human component. Um, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Again, see, it's, it's the Spirit of God that did the work, but we, as the vessels that He chooses to use, are available for Him to do what He wants to do. And so, for me, it happened to be Pastor Tony some uh, 14, 15 years ago. As he began to sit with me and disciple me and help me learn Jesus. 
Help me to learn how Jesus walks. Not like Igor, but how Jesus walks with love and compassion and grace with patience and with joy in the midst of trials. Learning to walk like Jesus was what I began to discover. And it began to take what was before a, 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 a modeling like a child does a parent, a mimicking, which is, which is good and that's helpful for a time. But if you grow up and you continue just to mimic somebody, you know, it's like that whole, um, well, what are you saying? Well, what are you saying? Don't copy me. Don't copy me. You know, it, 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 after a while, like the endearing part of it just leaves and you're just annoyed, you know, and, and that's what religion is. Religion is mimicking somebody without meaning. It's going through the motions without having any substance to it. And we're going to get into that a little bit later on in the passage. But here we see that the, the spirit of the living God is being used by Christ through the hands of his ministers to write on the tablets of our heart. We need to invest in one another. We need to invest in people because that's the only thing that's going to heaven. We can't take money with us. We can't take a career. We can't take uh, a hobby. We can't take our possessions. But we can take each other. And so we invest in each other. Now in verse 4, it says, And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now there's two key things which I've touched on before, but I'm going to reiterate them with more strength here. It's not about what you can do. It's not up to you and your ability. If you look at yourself and you say, well, but I don't even know the answer of who was Cain's wife. Or did Adam have a belly button? I don't know these things, you know. And so you, you limit yourself into this. You put yourself into a, you know, a place where you feel like you are incapable of investing in someone else. And you're basically say, you know, saying, coach, put me on the bench. But that doesn't glorify God. Wherever you're at in your walk, there is somebody else just behind you. Investing is taking the opportunity to say, Lord, I don't know much, but I'm just a step ahead of my friend here. Let me just turn around and help out. Let me just be available that much at least. And, and it's just about that next step of surrender. Our sufficiency is not as though anything comes from ourself. Our sufficiency is from God. Now, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above what we can ask or think or even imagine. Do you think that God loves that other person that you might invest in enough to help you invest in them well? 
He does. And because he's the source, it's his epistle that he wants to write. It's his Holy Spirit that does the, the work. You're just the minister. You're just the, the, the medium or the, uh, the vehicle in between. And you say, but Lord, I don't have anything. All I've got is five loaves and a couple small fish. How can we feed so many people? Hey, our sufficiency is from God. And here it says that he's made us ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. And he's going to develop this more in the next passage. Um, But it says that the letter kills. Let me put a different word there. Religion. The letter is the law. The law is religion. Religion kills. Okay? Going through the motions kills. It doesn't have life in it. But the Spirit does. The Spirit has life. The Spirit gives life. And that's what he's going to go into. He's going to give uh, uh, this beautiful example of veiled religion. And we basically have a dichotomy here of two glories. Okay, We have one glory over here and one glory on this other side. So verse 7 says, But if the ministry of death, okay, we have the ministry of roads, we have the ministry of health, and now this is the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones. You guys see, this is now talking about the law that, that Moses came down with. If this ministry was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? You guys see the contrast that Paul is bringing out here? This is... yeah. We have a, a, a church here that we're sitting in that is a reminder of how easy it is for us as humans to make church an event, a place, a building, a sanctuary, and forget that the church is the body, it's the people, and it's what we do together. And isn't this more glorious than an empty, dark building? You're walking by this, you're like, oh, that's a nice place, and you move on. But when somebody touches your life and they impact you and you say, wow, that was awesome. Doesn't that leave an indelible mark in your soul different than seeing some building? This is the the ministry of death versus the ministry of life. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory because we know that the law brings the realization that we are condemned because we can't uphold the law. If the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. So again, we have these two things on either side. Condemnation and righteousness. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect. Because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. 
Paul here is saying, we don't have to hold back. We don't have to, uh, you know, be careful with our words when it comes to the ministry of life. You know, it's like, hey, I've got some life you want to talk about. <laughs> no, hey, come extra, extra, read all about it. I've got life. Do you want some life? Hey, get a life. You know, this is our ministry. We get to administer life to each other. And obviously that could be taken in the sense of of salvation and, and that point of regeneration. But I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I need life breathed into me all throughout the week. I, you know, it's. You can't just come for a Sunday fix. I need a Monday fix, a Tuesday fix, a Wednesday morning, an evening fix, a Thursday afternoon. You know, I need I need life coursing through my veins. And if I'm isolated and if I'm not uh, available to the Lord to do that, then I'm just going to shrivel up. But when we get to minister life to one another, then we, it's like, grabbing on to the, the, electric, the electrodes on either side and, and it begins to course through us and we begin to feel the power of God as He ministers. And we recognize this isn't from me. This is from Him though. And I just get to be the person that gets used for this. What a blessing. So Paul, again, con- contrasting these things, verse 12, Therefore, since we have such hope, We use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Um, How many of you guys have ever read something in the Old Testament, and you're like, huh? Pastor Tony, can you explain this to me? And, and there is something about uh, when we try to read God's Word using our own understanding, we fall short. We don't get it. And, but when we come to the Scripture with Christ and the author of the scripture in our hearts, and we start and we say, Lord, show me what you want me to see today. And you can be reading something, and you're like, not for me, not for me. And then all of a sudden it's just, bam! And he hits you. And it's like, that was what he wanted me to see. All the other stuff that you maybe didn't understand or didn't see the relevance or how... You know, it all works together. You'll get that another time. That's a treasure for another day. But look for the thing that he wants to speak to you there. Because if you have Christ, the veil's been taken away. Makes me want to sing, tear down the veil. Um, But here uh, it says, but their minds, in verse 14, but their minds were blinded for until this day, The same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, 
there is liberty. You see, Christ came to set us free. And when Christ ascended to the right hand of his Father, he said he wouldn't leave us alone as orphans. He said he would give us another helper, the Holy Spirit, who would teach us all things, who would lead us in the truth, who would remind us of Christ's words. If you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all of that applies to you. And so the Word of God, as it's laying out before us, it's something that He says, hey, you now have the the freedom, the freedom to understand, the freedom to explore my Word. And that's the difference between my life before, when I was just, let me just call myself a child, I believe I was saved, but I was a child mimicking religion. And it wasn't until... um, I began to recognize that Jesus was my Jesus. He was my Savior. And He became personal to me. And I began to discover who He was, how He walks, how He lives, what He says, how He responds, how He doesn't respond. And as I, as I began to discover these things about Christ... Because somebody began to invest in me, that was a crucial part. That investment woke up me from my childhood and it shot me into an adulthood. It turned, it turned my world upside down, or we might say right side up, and it's like I began to walk on my own feet. No more crutches. No more going through the motions. No more, oh, check, got that done. Check, did communion. Check, did my quiet time. Check, read the Bible. Check, did my prayer. Check, said, said you know, thank you for this food. No, no more of that. Religion no longer needed to be there. I could still do those things, but now they meant something. Now they actually had some kind of significance in my life. And so even as I read the Word, I was diligent to do it because I was told to, um, but it was veiled. I didn't understand it. So how could I, being a Christian of 14 years at that point, going into university, being in a place you know, where, where of life where you are told to think for yourself, how could I, a Christian of 14 years, have had so many questions about God? So many questions about God's Word. And it was because there was a veil. I was a child, but once that investment, once that epistle began to impact and be written on my heart, do you know what happened? I could let Pastor Tony give the sequel on this, but God basically turned my life and, and I began grabbing as many guys as I could. And I just began saying, hey, let's get together and read the Word. And so we would get up and we'd go on these hikes to go watch the sunrise and praise the Lord and and then just study God's Word. And then we would, uh, there's class, and we would go and sit in coffee shops and just read God's Word and study. And, and, And we had this 
this posse, this group of people that just loved God's word. And if I look at those guys today, many of them are pastors or serving the Lord in their lives in a solid, faithful way. What an awesome thing to to be able to have somebody invest in you and then to be able to turn around and invest in someone else. You know, Jesus discipled his disciples and then he said, go make disciples. Paul says that something very similar in 2 Timothy 2.2. He says, the things that you have heard from me, this is Paul talking to Timothy, the things that you, Timothy, have heard from me, Paul, commit these to faithful men. Teach these to faithful men who will in turn, also teach others also. So Paul is telling Timothy, hey, the things that you've learned from me, I've discipled you, Timothy. And now you go and make disciples of faithful people who will go and disciple others. In other words, make disciples who make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples, etc., etc. And that is life in God's economy. That's what God wants us to do. In the traditional um, rabbi teaching school, the way that they structured their, their relationships, a rabbi, obviously, is the teacher, right? People would call Jesus rabbi, teacher. So you have the rabbi, and then you have the, the talmid, a Talmud is the disciple. It's the, the name in Hebrew for a disciple. So the Rabbi and the Talmud. But then you also have a third category. And that is the Haver. The Haver is the co, uh, co-laborer, the person that's alongside of you, the, the, your, your fellow student, the person that you spar with and the iron sharpening iron alongside of each other and he's neither your rabbi nor is he your disciple but he's your brother and you are in this journey together side by side so you really have many different opportunities to have invested relationships with people who is your rabbi who is the person who is investing in you as Paul did to Timothy? Who is your haver? The person who you can say, hey, I've been thinking about this. What do you think about, what did Jesus say? How did this, you know, this really, really impacted me. And you're just able to share those things back and forth with somebody. We need those people in our life because that's, where a lot of maturity comes from. It's where a lot of our our roots are strengthened to be able to uh, hold fast during different storms. It's where we mature and where where we grow. But then we also need that Talmud. We need the disciple. We need to invest in others. Because if we're just receiving, 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 we become fat, lazy Christians who don't do anything. We need to... Get up and move and act and, and participate in this. This cascading of love that Christ 
has given to us. And this is where it all ends in verse 18. He says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Here we have a promise that as we look into the mirror, we get this faint sense that we look a little bit more like Jesus today than we did last week or last month or last year. We begin to see, wow, if I think about who I was before and I look at who I'm looking at now, I'm not that old person. I'm, I'm actually looking more like Jesus right now. What an awesome thing. But it's, it's, it's still kind of dim. It's still faint. Now, we're not fully in His image, but we're becoming more like Him. And who does that? It's the Spirit. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And it says that we are being transformed into that same image, the image of Christ. And it says from glory to glory. Well, we've already read about these two contrasting glories. The glory of religion, of a law that we could never satisfy, which resulted in condemnation and death. That's the glory we are being removed from or that we are being transformed away from. And we are being transformed into the glory of Jesus Christ. The glory of life that is being given to us by the Spirit of God. The glory of perfection in the presence of God. What an awesome privilege. And notice that we're not doing the work. It's being done to us. Our job is to surrender. Come out with your hands up. Surrender to the Lord. Give your life to Him because He wants to transform you. He wants to take the, the, the vessel that you are, break it and smash it into pieces, pour His living water on it, and mold you into a vessel of honor and glory, useful in the hands of the Master. So, as you go into this week, well, we're halfway through this week, but as you continue through this week, I want you to be thinking specifically. I want you to be thinking about who is investing in you. If no one is investing in you, I want you to begin to identify somebody who's a little bit further along in the journey than you are. If you're a guy, let it be a guy. You're a girl, let it be a girl. Don't everybody choose Pastor Tony because he's one person and he can't do everything and that's not that's not his job. Okay, it's the it's the body's job. It's the it's the responsibility of the body of Christ to minister to each other. His job is just to help coach you along the way so that you can figure out how to do this well. But pray and ask the Lord to reveal to you who can invest in your life. 
Who can help you to grow? Somebody that you respect. Somebody that you can look up to. And if you can't think of anybody, then come ask Pastor Tony or Suzanne to to suggest somebody. Because chances are they're they're connected with people in a way that they'll be able to say, yeah, let me... Let me pray about that and, and, and let me get back to you. Maybe this person can be free to do that and, and maybe they can help bring those connections. But then also, pray about if there's anybody that you can pour out into. Wherever you're at in the journey, look to see if there's anybody that you could prayerfully consider raising up. And you don't have to be like, hey, you want to come and learn from me? You know, you, you don't have to do that. Obviously, there's there's a protocol and, and there's life and respect and there's all sorts of things. But it could be, hey, would you like to just get together and talk about the word? And maybe it's maybe it's a, a Talmud relationship or maybe it's a Haver relationship. You don't maybe have to define that at first. But maybe that's something Christ will bring clarity to. But as you do that. Trust me, the journey of discovering Christ is going to be enriched. Your life will never be the same. You might end up as a missionary in Africa. At least that's where my journey took me. But the awesome thing is, at that point it doesn't matter. Because you're just along for the ride and you say, Lord, here I am, just like Samuel. Whatever you say, I'll do. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your patience with us. We can get so distracted and so busied up with so many different aspects of of life and all the things that we say are necessary and, and yet you yourself say that The necessary things are to do the will of the Father. And Lord, we know that it is Your will for us to disciple and to be discipled. And Lord, You have have put together an awesome, awesome group of people in this body. And You know the, the, the facets, the sinews, the muscle tissue, the structure of how to knit and join together this body in an amazing way so that they can be useful to you to reach out to the rest of the world. So Lord, we trust you with that. We, we, that's a big task. It's a big project. But that's not our job. That's your job. And we just want to come before you in the simplicity of our surrender today and say, mold me, shape me, use me. Speak to my heart. Help me to see what you see. Put me in those relationships that will spur me on and where I can also spur others on. So Lord, make that our prayer this week. Help us to 
see that come to fulfillment. And we thank you that that is something that you desire to do. So we know when we ask something in accordance with your will, that you will do it. Lord, we just say, here we are. Have at us. And pray this in your name, Jesus.